Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the 518 Talks Podcast. I am your host, William Revis. Today, I am here with the wonderful Miss Tanika Dixon. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful, and yourself? Uh, I'm good. Anytime I have the opportunity to work with somebody, especially somebody with such a phenomenal story, uh, an amazing passion, um, I always like to take the opportunity, especially on this platform, to really just highlight those that are around us that are absolutely phenomenal people and have great stories and have phenomenal passion. So, you know, with you, I think uh, what's incredibly important for our community, for our kids, for just our people in general is really to just learn a little bit about you, who you are and the things you plan on doing and some of the things you may have done. So for our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. Just give them a little taste. Who is Miss Tanika Dixon? Well, Tanika Dixon was born and raised on Emmett Street in a two-parent home. I'm the youngest. I'm the only girl. I have two older brothers, and I grew up around all males. So um, my parents made sure to get that feminine quality in me. I was a star of Girls Inc. At the time, it was Girls Club. I played basketball, volleyball, and softball. I did my schooling in King's School. Diamonds, Mount Pleasant briefly, Lincoln, and then I was transferred to cities and schools. So when I became pregnant as a teen, I withdrew, but then went back to Washington Irving Education Center yes. and earned my GED in 1996. Um, I tried my hand at Schenectady Community College with a criminal justice major, and then like took its left. Understandable. Now, something that, that I feel like is extremely important that you mentioned was that, you know, when you were younger, you, you, you had a child, but you didn't let that stop. You went, you went back to complete your degree. And I think this is one of the reasons why I really wanted to speak with you, uh, you know, for this episode was because I think a lot of the time, especially in our communities of color, in our communities of poverty, we see this, uh, this, this, this teenage pregnancy and then, but they never talk about the successes. We never really hear about the, the people who are utilizing it and really utilizing it as a motivation. You know, our kids are phenomenal. Our kids are resilient. Our kids in poverty are amazing. And, and, and like all of us, we all make bad decisions. Please hear that. William Reeve has made a lot of bad decisions. So when you see me, don't think that, you know, I've made great decisions my entire life because I haven't. But really just talk about that, uh, you know, you, you stepping back out and making sure that because it seemed like it was very important that you were educated. Absolutely. Um, before I move forward, I just respectfully would like to correct you. I had two children. Okay. I had my first son when I was 15, and then I had my youngest when I was 16, going on, no, excuse me, 17. Okay. So, um... I did believe in education. I had my goals set. However, being a young adult, a young teenager, shall I say, I was led astray by hormones and what looks good on the outside isn't good on the inside. Um, I chased after that hood dream 
of, oh, he's getting money, let me get with him, when all, in all reality, it wasn't healthy. Right. Um, for those who are natives of Schenectady community, um, Hamilton Hill, shall I speak of, there was a very big trauma in my life that occurred August 6, 1998, when a dear sister friend of mine was killed on Summit Avenue. Um, and that turned my life into a self-destructive mode. Um, when you spoke of my success of obtaining my degree, my degree happened later in my life. Um, when I dealt with the trauma, I don't know how many can relate, but yet I was raised in a household where you don't tell your feelings. To demonstrate any type of feeling, or emotion is weakness. Sign of weakness, yeah. So I didn't know how to say, look ma, look pop, I'm hurting. I don't know how to deal with the loss of somebody so significant in my life. So I turned to self-medication, which for me was alcohol. And in the pursuit of self-medicating and numbing that feeling that what I now know is normal, mm -hmm. it led me to hang out with people who I thought were my friends and on December 20th, 1999, I walked into Casey's Bar and Grill and encountered an individual who had his own personal opinions about people of color. He was also intoxicated and I unfortunately and tragically and naively accepted a knife to walk home after he just assailed me with racial slurs. And then as I attempted to leave, he blocked my way of leaving. And all signs humanly in a person of fight or flight, the fight kicked in. And I sadly stabbed him three times, causing his death, which resulted in me being sentenced to 15 to life which led to me serving 19 years, 10 months, and 10 years of my life in prison. I was 22 years old when it happened. And, and what I really love about you specifically is you understand, like you painted a picture. And I think for our young people specifically, it's important for them to understand uh, the dangers of their bad decisions. Because again, as kids, we don't really know that we're making bad decisions. And you know we're out here in the world, and we're and we're and we're just going along life the best way we feel possible. And, and tragically, any one of us can really find ourselves in a position. And when you don't have the right information or the right grounding, a lot of the times, all it takes is one bad decision to find yourself in a situation that can cause you trauma or other families trauma for the rest of your life. I've grown up with phenomenal people because of one wrong decision, um, they found themselves in very tragic situations. And I myself have been in similar situations. So what I, what I really love about you is, is that wasn't the end for you. That, that wasn't a, a stopping point and you've done so much since then. And why I feel like this is important because there is a generation of young people in our community right now who need to hear this. A lot of the times they hear it from the guys, you know, guys come home from incarceration, wear these programs, but to hear such a powerful testament from a female, 
for especially for our young women that are out here in these streets. The young woman who is in between school and the streets and maybe thinking about leaving school to go into the streets, the young mothers. I feel like your, your testament, your story is so powerful. Something somebody said to me when I was in my darkest time was, uh, William, you have the opportunity to change lives, but because you're a drug addict, you don't realize it. And the thing was, is because of my own trauma and my own situation at the time, I really had no idea that my life at some point could become an example of change for someone else. And when I did, that's when I started to really take serious the things I do and who I am as a person. And I feel like for you, um, that's very important because there are a ton of young women that I can't reach, that, that everybody can't reach. But there are going to be young women who are going to come in contact with you and who are going to hear this, and you're going to inspire them. And, and so I applaud you and, and you really just having the courage to have this conversation and really just the work you've done. So, like, what I want you to really talk about is, is what were some of the things that you learned on your journey and some of the things that motivated you? Well, most importantly was my family, my parents. Um, I was overwhelmed with guilt, shame, and disappointment. My parents didn't raise me to act foolish outside of our household. I went to church. Um, they put me in organizations, as I stated earlier, that would help mold me into a responsible, kind human being. But because you mentioned, as you can also relate about trauma, yeah. it is real. It is real. It is so real that it can reach back to us being four or five years old and internalizing something, but not realizing we're picking up these behaviors along the way. And then when we get older, it's like, wait a minute, that's where that came from. Yes. So before I move forward, I would just want to say that trauma needs to be explored more because it affects a lot of people's decision-making and their behaviors. Um, so my parents and my children, my sons are my beginning and the end. I felt horrible. I felt horrible. All of my accomplishments, everything that I put my foot to do was to paint a picture for them that I didn't abandon you. That's phenomenal. I was just so hurt and broken and didn't know how to address it. I turned to alcohol. And with me turning to alcohol, I forfeited my right. It's nothing that my parents did. It's nothing that anybody else did outside of myself. And that's only because I lacked the tools or the ability to say, who can help me without feeling ashamed or going against the grain, sort of like no snitching. Right. <laughs> so I made up my mind. I remember being in Schenectady County Jail. I probably wasn't even a week there and I got on my knees because as I shared with you, I grew up in the church and I prayed and I asked for forgiveness. And I made a vow that I would never put my hands on anybody again. After I got up off my knees, I said, Tanika, you know what? This is what it's gonna be. How are we gonna come out on top of this? So I threw myself in every resource available. Rehabilitation is not real. You have to chase it. Yes, they have the programs that it's mandated by DOCS by the state of New York, but if you're not chasing it, they could care less. There's people that's doing 25 years, 15 years, 10 years, eight years, three years. They're eligible for work release. They're eligible for KSAT. They're eligible 
for all of these programs that can help them get home earlier, but they take their time or they wait until they pass the criteria and now they gotta sit. Even with mental health. Person could come in with a mental health issue on their docket, but if the person says, I don't want it, mm -hmm. they like no child left behind, that's so to speak. Yeah. They don't pay attention. Meanwhile, this person's in population, being abused, being taken advantage of, and their mental health is deteriorating because it is a traumatic environment. It is a hostile environment. It may not be as bad as the male institutions, yet the females are no better. Right. If anything, they're more manipulative. So I put my plate myself in positions with the Parents and Center in Bedford Hills Correctional Facility. I kicked down the doors to get my kids in their programs because it wasn't available to upstate kids. My kids are one of the first children from upstate that was allowed to participate in the overnight program, in the preteen program, in the teen program. So that made me feel, okay, I can do this because I'm seeing my boys, I'm seeing their smile, and I'm seeing the benefits, but it's not only about me. I would go, there's other women that's from upstate. Mines are unique to me, but other parents' children are unique to them, so we're, I'm bringing everybody into the fold. And it doesn't matter their race or belief, you right. know? Absolutely. So then I capitalized on my college. I went to the college, Marymount Manhattan, was a consortium within Bedford Hills, and I got my AA in 2004, and then I got my bachelor's in 2009. Left with nothing else to do, I just continued to make myself available by tutoring, mentoring these young girls. I threw myself into the parenting center, I facilitated, I helped create programs called co-parenting, after I was transferred up to Albion with nothing to do, I did um, industry, which is pretty much a manufacturing factory job. Mm -hmm. And then I said, you know what, I'm worth more. And I found that I came alive in a classroom, educating people. I want to give life, and that's my motto. I'm responsible for taking a life that wasn't mine to take, or was, nor was my job. So I'm going to feed every person that comes encounter with me, be it in a classroom setting or on a walkway, on a uh, sidewalk, in a mall. I'm going to smile and say, hello, how you doing? Thank you. You're welcome. I'm going to give that kindness because it's lacking today. It's lacking today. I hold doors open and people walk in and don't it's even for, say it's thank for, you. It's foreign to people. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and, and that's something else I really want you to talk about. Like, uh, you know, as you talked about the trauma, and I feel like specifically something we can really both identify with is in communities of color and in families of poverty, there's a certain type of trauma that comes with growing up in poverty. Um, they're, they're, you know, having a lack. And, and me and some of my friends, we kind of talk about it a lot. A uh, lack of time, a lack of opportunity, a lack of resources, a lack of belief, a lack of love, a lack of attention. And when you grow a culture in this sense of lack, you have people who are not always aware of how what they do impact others or how their trauma has caused issues. Absolutely. In wealthier communities where they have these resources, you don't necessarily see that same action or that activity. Really, I, I would like for you to really just talk about that because what I love about what you're saying is, is you're going out of your way every day to show kindness to people. Nothing that 
no one can do. This is something that everyone can do. Just genuine kindness, love, and compassion to other people. So really just talk about that. Well, it's a choice because I had every right. I've come across people when I tell my story, they have these very passionate opinions. And a part of me could agree with them, but where am I winning at? Because if I take on that ideology, then they win. No. Too many things was lost along the way. Um, I missed a lot of firsts. First with my my children, kindergarten, pre-K, high school, girlfriends. I was available over the phone, but physically I lost too much. So... I had to choose. I couldn't return back into my community, which I helped tear the social fabric worse off than when I left. That wasn't an option for me. So it is a practice every day because there are people who are not addressing their pain, their trauma. They gotta drink, eat pills Mm -hmm. to get through that moment. But what I come to realize was that this too shall pass. It's only a moment. That feeling is temporary, but your decisions are forever and they're impactful and it could hurt you for the rest of your life. Absolutely. So I'm not, I I refuse. That's not who I was raised to be. That's not what I was shown. My parents, great parents, there was no lack of love. I could say personally speaking, what was lacking was attention. And that's what drew me to the opposite crowd. I was a Girl Scout. Who mm-hmm. in the, who in on Emmett Street, Hamilton Hill in who was 19? A Girl Scout? Who was a Girl Scout? <laughs> People look at me like I'm like I'm a Girl Scout. <laughs> you know, they it's un it's unheard of. Yeah. But my parents loved me so much. Sub- subconsciously, they probably recognized like, oh wow, let me fill this void. Let yeah. me put her here. Let me put her here. But there's always that little space for something to get in, and it happened. And that's where the drinking came and smoking weed and my eye wandering to, oh, he, he's cute. Oh, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't have no business being out there. It put me in a very precarious situation when I was 13 years old, the beginning of my trauma. Mm-hmm. And it just went. When I lost my dear friend in 1998, that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I just believe that it's important today to pay attention. A person doesn't even have to open their mouth. Pay attention to the body language. Pay attention to behind the scenes. Read between the lines. Because they're telling you what they need without even saying it. And I think that that's something as a world as a society specifically, that we don't do because coming from where we come from, you grow up with, with the language of if you're dealing with something, you don't nobody has to know. Uh, keep, keep your drama in-house. So with those messages, you internalize everything. And as a kid growing up in a society like that, you one, you don't know what trauma is. You're being told not to address it. So even if you think you have it, you're like, well, I'm supposed to keep... It causes a conflict because you may want to express it, but safely, you don't know how to. So I think what, what, what's phenomenal about what you're saying specifically is, 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 is how you address your trauma, even at a later date as an adult, 
But I think what's what's great about what you're doing is is the inspiration on how you can teach our young people now how don't let it get that far. Don't let it get that far. There's somebody who is experienced, and I think that was kind of my passion for working in the community was in working with adults on one end, I saw broken men. Men who were really wanted to do something great, but because they made a bad decision one time, it started this 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 track, this 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 of homelessness, of addiction, of incarceration, of supervision, and they just ran this track for 40, 50 years. And the one thing they all said to me was, if if I was a kid. So what that got to me was like, oh wait, I should also be helping youth on the other end. Because on one end I have these adults who have already made these decisions, but then on the other end I have a I have youth who haven't. So what about investing in them ahead of time? so we can give them so they don't hit that track. Addressing their trauma, taking into consideration their living conditions, understanding you know, crime and violence is a byproduct of poverty. When people are, are living you know, in, in horrible conditions and you have parents who are working every day to provide the best they can for their children, but they can't because they live under some imaginary poverty line mm -hmm. and they can't get assistance, it creates a trauma in the household because you know now dads don't feel like they're worth it, moms don't feel loved, kids grow up seeing this. So what does that create when it comes to their role in a relationship? And then like you said, now they're looking to fill a void in something that's not real or not tangible in the first place. So when you look at our society, our, our people specifically as a whole, you can see on how these traumas play out in everyday basic gangs, violence, teen pregnancies, drug addictions, suicides, all these things that people talk about, but they never get to the root of. You know, we look at the byproduct, people look at the stats, you know, they look at the, this many people uh, injured or these many people killed, but they never take in consideration on the other end of the stat, there are people, there are individuals, there are human beings. And that's what I really love about who you are and what you're doing. And this is just a piece. This, for me, what I love about it is this is like the start of your journey. Because everything else that comes after this is phenomenal. It's amazing. Because a lot of times what happens is if somebody comes out of your situation and I see it with the population I work with and they feel like they can never get back. They can never get back in the lives of their children. They can never get back the love of their family. They can never get back the, the self-worth that they felt like they had at one point. And the thing is, I went through that. I know what it was like not to be trusted by anybody because of my decisions. I know what it was like to, to not feel loved. I know what it was like to not like to even look at myself in the mirror because I felt ashamed for everything. So when I started this work of working and rebuilding in community, something I tell everybody is like, this is not a job for me. I'm personally helping. I'm rebuilding a community I helped destroy. Amen. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Absolutely. You know, nobody else has to get it. I get it. You know, my God, he gets it. This is what we're doing. And what I love about you is, is you have a whole different perspective, a whole different motivation. There's a whole generation I can't touch because I was never a young woman in that situation. But I work with a lot of young women. I work with a lot of, you know, elementary school kids, kids who are really in that, in that borderline of making that first wrong decision. And you can really inspire a lot of them. Well, that's my goal. That's why I sit here today, just to get my story out. I'm here. I'm not even 60 days home. And what am I offering? I said life. 
I'm going to be that safe haven for them young girls who can identify with my story or who I can identify with or see so much of myself in being angry, thinking that, fighting in the streets and out drinking when you're supposed to be home studying for that test that's tomorrow. I'm that woman. I'm that young girl. You're not alone. Your story is your story. Yet there are my story, I'm relatable. You know, I may be an older woman, yet I'm not too far removed because I have a niece who is in her 20s. I have little cousins that's in their 30s. So I'm paying attention. I paid attention all the way while I was away because I, I by the grace of God, that I have a great support system. My family is so awesome. I'm in tune with all of the poor decision-making, and I'm on the phone like, well, why? Why isn't somebody? Right. Why isn't somebody? And the most painful response could was, or at some times, it's not my business. It is your business. It's Absolutely. your family. <laughs> yes, it is. Whether it's by blood or in a community. They said it takes a village to raise a child. It's your well, business. where's Hamilton Hills Village? Where is it? We gonna find it. Because it starts with us. So for the people listening, what is next for Tanika Dixon? What is next for me? Well, with your help and help of other community leaders who are passionate about rebuilding Hamilton Hill that's being gentrified. If anybody doesn't know what that means, that means that they're tearing all of these houses down that are becoming of value to them. They've been valuable to us, but now it has other people's interests. I want to bring back the community. I want places for our youth who are going to be in charge of our community when we are older to have meaning, self-respect, confidence, and know that there is no limit outside of what you set in front of yourself. We are our own worst enemy. So I want to pour out to male, but you have that area covered, females. You're not your mistake. You're not your trauma. The healing starts with you, and once you recognize that you can be made whole, whatever dreams and aspirations that you have imagined, you're your own glass ceiling, honey. You can do it. So what, what's next for me is this ain't the end. To be continued because I'm just getting started. Listen, you heard it here first. 518 Talks with Miss Tanika Dixon. You you heard the story. Continue to watch the the the, the the, the work she's going to continue doing. Um, and no matter where you start at, you can continue to make change. Uh, all our lives are important to the community, to our families. Don't ever let one bad decision make you feel like you're not worthy. Um, there are people here who love you. There are people here who support you. Uh, there is great opportunity in change. And uh, we're in a society now where individuals like us will run the world in the next few years. That's the beautiful thing I, I am starting to really understand. We are no longer the minority. We are now the majority. Absolutely. Enough people have made bad decisions and have come back to create change because we understand what it's like to live on both sides. And that's what I had to explain to somebody not too long ago. And, you know, I was in a meeting, and it's a really big board meeting, and somebody asked me, well, what makes you so different? I said, I can live in your world. You can never live in mine. I can be in the boardroom. I can run for political Absolutely. office. You can't stand on the block. You can't go where I came from. You can't stand I can, on Eminence. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I can live in your world. You can't live in mine. Yes. And, and for most people, that's a culture shock because there's so many more of us who can do that now. 
So to you, I thank you for taking the time to share your story. I thank you, you know, I, I, I applaud everything that you have said and, and I look forward to the work that you can, can continue to do. Um, I look forward to your progress and to your growth and thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.